public service announcement on behalf of the end podcast. Alam Oman. The following contains adult themes and explicit language such as fuck, bugger, vast god pussy all, and juice lag. Should this put your sensibilities in danger, we suggest you immediately visit your nearest physician and offer yourself for a course of don't be a bitch pills. Farewell, friends. Okay, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) And we're off. Definitely first take. Right, this is the first bonus episode in January. We're taking a break, but we're still bringing you content. So this is Alan Moore Month. So we're going to spare you all the regular news updates and just go straight into that goopy comic good love goodness first of all thanks for joining us we are on all platforms we're on spotify apple Podcasts, soundcloud we are on instagram we're on twitter and we are on youtube and if you listen on youtube guys then please on that button give us a like give us a follow give us a subscription and on all platforms leave us a review if you don't like what we're doing then even tell us what dirty motherfucking fuck fuck fuckity fucks we are too it all goes to our metrics and we welcome the criticism it's the only way we get better darling we also put timestamps in the notes so if you want to forward to any specific part of the podcast then you can find them as follows right then let's get stuck in let's have the cast say hello ollie how are you doing today fine and that's all like fine with a snap or just fine i have to work tomorrow i don't want to right, well no one likes to show off ali doing <laughs> <laughs> okay again i have to work tomorrow so that's great i'm happy about that me. i mean we should be so lucky right then tim have you got anything that's not going to thoroughly depress people and make them turn off what have you been up to oh that's right you've been fucking sick anything else to tell them <laughs> just uh just a lot of sleep it's been glorious sorry matt good morning good afternoon good evening depending on when you're listening to this uh, my name's tim you can find me at tm bagshaw on all platforms and i am very looking forward to talking about alan moore this month Goose, please save the podcast before it's dead and buried. <laughs> I'm sorry, what'd you say? I was too busy drinking this red ale that I brewed myself with my own goddamn man hands. Ooh. You see this? I call this the shithouse brew redheaded stranger named after Willie Nelson, a Texas legend. That has nothing to do with comics, but uh, speaking of live from hell, it's me drinking the beer that I made because I'm a badass like that. Let's talk about some fucking comics. <laughs> wicked, 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 Brian, drop the verse. <laughs> yes. The rhythm, the rebel. It's Brian Boogie Down Brown. Find me on Twitter at B-O-0-G-I-D-O-W-N. And let's get into it. Let's get stuck in then. As you already know, if you've been listening carefully, this is part one of Alan Mormont. It is Batman the Killing Joke. It is illustrated by Brian Boland and it was first released in 1988. It is one of the seminal Batman Joker stories and it showcases their codependency questions, whether they can find peace through commonality or will one of them have to die so alan moore is one of my favorites and he uh him writing batman is great the thing that the thing that gets me is like you you see a lot of um you if you didn't know it was alan moore writing it and you read it you you would almost immediately know it was him um just the way that he it's almost is nihilistic the right word or the style that he writes in almost is just like the way that he writes these superheroes but like his villains they have this demented sense to them Mm. that nothing matters and they want to show the world that you see it's so well written and it matches that tone of the late 80s with batman when you had you know the dark knight 
you had uh, the Killing Joke, you had uh, Death in the Family. And so it really goes along with that time period of Batman. What I, I really think is reading it again, I still love it the same. I've seen how, how things get polarized so easily. And I feel like people would look at this and not see Joker as a, as a villain, but a tragic hero. And that's mm. my only negative thing I have to say about it. But, uh, art is subjective. And so, mm. you know, anybody can pick up it and think what they want about it. But I just really think that it showed how quickly Batman could be taken to his breaking point. Yeah. How did you feel about it uh, being the first time that we saw a Joker origin story? Okay, so the Joker even admits to himself, and I think that was Alan Moore saying, one of the big, one of the big things about the Joker is we, we don't know who the Joker is. Yeah. We don't know who the Joker is. We never have. We don't get a solid background story or an origin story. And even when we think we do, as the Joker's mumbling on in those pages about his past and how one bad day and all this other bullshit, he's showing himself as a as an unreliable narrator for the story when he says things like, that origin story might not be the truth. And so you can't take what he says for truth. And we know that about the Joker anyways. He said he likes to think of his past as multiple choice, I believe the quote is. You see things like that and you're thinking to yourself, is this what's going on or is the Joker just trying to <clears throat> draw us in yeah. um, to feel yeah. bad for him? Almost showing weakness and feigning retreat just so they can he can surround us in a phalanx of horrors like he does Commissioner Gordon. I don't think that's his origin story. I agree with you wholeheartedly. When I was reading it, I thought one of the literary tropes is a madman doesn't know he's mad. So when he's explaining how easy it is to go mad, I felt that it was a madman trying to adopt a persona of a straight guy to outwit his opponent. I completely agree with you, though. I think it's like the whole uh, unreliable narrator thing throughout the throughout the story. For me, it was uh, a comic about madness going wild and a mechanical process of uh, destroying each and every character in it. For me, at least, uh, Joker wins because Batman ends up laughing. So madness runs free and wild. It was reflected by the Joker deciding to run free and it goes on and crazier to the craziest. Each and every character ends broken. So for me, it's one of the most depressing comic book ever made. There's no hope in it. Absolutely not. Uh, I know that Gotham City is a city. If it existed, we would have raised it or <laughs> evacuated it <laughs> a long time ago. It's ultimate battle between Joker and Batman. And I know it's been done later, countless times, but never to this point, never to this depressing point. Uh, I'm interested in what you think about who the protagonist of the story was, because it's quite an evenly balanced story whereby you've almost got two leads and we're obviously you're on the side of good, but I'm not too sure during it whether it's a Joker-centric story or if it's a Batman-centric story. On the front cover, it's the same because it's Batman, a killing joke, but the image on almost every edition is of the Joker. Joker-centric, definitely Joker-centric. What it did to Barbara Gordon. Uh, Still now, it's horrific. And we are we had uh, since uh, Guy Gardner's uh, girlfriend's head uh, in a refrigerator. But it wasn't that horrific. And the reaction of Batman at the end, Batman laughing. When did you hear Batman laugh? Ever. You remember another issue, another title with Batman laughing? Mm -hmm. It's Joker winning. 
Mm. It's funny when I hear Matt talk, I've got a lot in common with this motherfucker. When Killing Joke was doing the rounds, I weren't literary. If there weren't a fight in the book, I'm like, what's going on? This is, this is a fight. <laughs> By the time I read it, like, what, what have I been missing <laughs> in this book? Shit, this is actually fucking good. <laughs> yeah, and I was, I was just like, I mean, I loved Alan Moore from before, from 2008. So I was getting his stuff anyway. Alan Moore essentially made a definitive version of the Joker because we spend so much time looking at this guy's supposed yeah. history, be it tragic or a fool. And you just know it's going to end badly, but how badly unravels. It really is a solid gut punch and it's as much that story as it is anyone else. As we know, the Red Hood now is yeah, yeah. kind of one interesting thing, I hadn't really thought about the unreliable narrator, just going back to a couple minutes ago when you guys were talking about that. I just think that is so interesting because I read this book as a sort of meditation on, on madness as rationality. And it's very interesting to think about how the backstory that's presented might itself be a rationalization. And I think that is really, really, really interesting insight you guys had on that. One of the things that I think about, like y'all are talking about madness. We know that the Joker's crazy and he talks about the one bad day thing and that rationalization of uh, what happened to him under the Red Hood. I really think that his way of dealing with that one bad day was going mad. The things that he does as the Joker is pushing more people to be like him because if it happened to him, then then it could happen to anybody and he wants it to happen to everybody. Oh man, it, it really shows a, a different side of the Joker, less of a I mean, he's insane, of course, but with the prison We escape, have to talk about his intellect, at least. I mean, he's already gotten the guy to yeah. sign the papers before he takes care of the guy at the fairgrounds. When you look, I mean, even in real life, guys like Ted Krasinski, a genius, but he was also the Unabomber who got so fed up with society and the way that it was going that he moved into a shed out in the woods and started mailing bombs to people. It's just one of those things that kind of ties it together. Like, we talk about how mad and insane he is, but we never mention how insanely intelligent the Joker is as well. His genius always foreshadows that. And the way that Alan Moore writes him it is less of the insane guy who's screaming on the streets but more the insane guy in like the role of Ozymandias from, from Watchmen, which mm. the killing joke and Watchmen draw a lot of parallels between each other. I think, Tim, it's a good point you make because memories in general are unreliable. People think that your mind actually works like a video recorder, but in actual fact, everything splits up into individual elements, the color, the sound, the smell, where you were, what you thought about something saved in like-for-like -like spaces in your mind. And what mm. happens is over time, some of the connections between the synapses stop firing especially the ones that aren't being worked and aren't being used so when people pull back their memories maybe 10 20 years later and they reconstruct it what you were thinking may be confused with what actually happened and i think it's really interesting that you say that that even if it's intentional or not that the recollection that we see in the pages might be his forced narrative of what he's suppressed and when it's recalled it was actually toned to differentiate between the current day and the past but i think it also gives it ghostly almost psychosomatic date that implies that it might be in some way a false recollection so yeah i think that's a really good point to bring up point. Uh, i once was reading an article that mentioned something kind of like you're saying about memory every time you think about an old memory you're really just remembering the last time you thought about it not the actual memory remember itself. It, yeah. and that's how things get changed so quickly because like you said you know the way you think it happened and the way things actually happen get twisted up over the years by the time you think of of something that happened you know 20 years ago and you thought about it a hundred times you're seeing yeah. you're seeing the hundredth different version of what your mind cooked up that day. Yeah. and i think that's uh that, that's a really good point to make that that he could be he 
could be twisting the events of what actually happened yeah. uh, because of his either failures as a father and husband or mm. going mad, not being able to handle daily reality. He couldn't find a good reason for why he went mad. The mind's mm. fucking crazy, man. The mind's fucking crazy, let alone the Joker. Like, just I how mean, it works. It's so sophisticated. You were just talking about it's a genius that is unbridled. Unlike Ozymandias, which is forethought and meticulous planning, what Joker does, it's unbridled with no no fucks are given. The way that he works, it's all out. People that are close to me that have had psychosis, it's amazing how they see the world. I think the comparison between the Joker and Ozymandias is the difference between sociopathy and mania. It's basically the difference between Donald yeah. Trump and Kanye West. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, actually. I, I see what you mean by his, his kind of off-the-cuff thing, Brian. We see him as more psychotic. We don't mm. mention his level of intellect because, well, like you said, he's doing this stuff off the cuff. But at the same time, if he's doing it off the cuff, I did a way to break Batman in half. Yeah. in the course of a day. Mm. <laughs> That's yes. the difference between yeah. Ozymandias, yeah. Ozymandias hiring scientists to drop a giant squid on New York. That took months mm. and years of planning and Joker broke Batman in a day. But the thing about Batman is that he able to base shit on your fears and mm. what you're able to do and not do and work in and around that. If you are unbridled and you don't have any reason, <laughs> where does he go? Uh, if I could double back to something that Ollie was speaking about, even if you didn't know it was an Alan Moore book, you, you would know it by, by the writing style. Mm. And one thing that stood out for me that seems to be like a current presence across his work is there was a form of sexual battery left mm. open-ended, whether it was actual rape or not. I don't think that is something I would consider typical of the Joker to do, unless it was for the humiliation of somebody else to actually see it. And not the sexual gratification of the actual act, especially after reading some of Lost Girls, where it's basically all that. Do you think Alan Moore puts the perversion in his stories or do you think the perversion's in Alan Moore? It's in his stories, man. There's tropes that he uses because he knows the type of emotions that it elicits mm. and, and he knows how to toy with your emotions. He did it. Uh, I haven't read Lost Girls, but I mean, I've read Watchmen, I've read Reefer Vendetta, and I've, I mean, of course, Killing Joke. And you see not just the sexual assault being present in all of them. I think it's more of a humiliation thing not so much he's drawn to those aspects but that he knows a good way to destroy somebody is, is through humiliation funny enough he didn't think that he was going to be able to kill off barbara batgirl at the time and when he walked into linwine's office he was like hey i'm thinking about crippling Barbara and Lin Wine was just like, uh, cripple the bitch. I don't give a and fuck. And so, like, Alan Moore was just like, okay. And so, he, he, even now, he thinks he may have gone a little bit too far with it. So, with that, I don't think the Joker went any further than just stripping her and taking the pictures. Brian Boland said that he wasn't comfortable drawing that. And he also said that he wasn't comfortable with the Joker origin story, but he said specifically drawing that he wasn't, he wasn't comfortable. I don't with think it. she was raped. I think that he's more for getting a reaction out of people. The Joker doesn't necessarily have to go all the way in to get a reaction. No, no, no. Um, yeah, <laughs> that was unintentional, but uh, you have at it. Um, I like the callbacks though. It's, all, your... tro it's Trojan War again from the last episode. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll double your entendre, Ali. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I think that it was more for the unknown, like showing those pictures to to Gordon, he didn't know if she was raped. He didn't know what had happened. So just the visual alone is enough to break somebody. And I think that the one thing that's very interesting is that we are our most vulnerable when we are stripped. It's brought you down to your core. That's the one way that people can gain control.
Some of these panels were just creepy as the hell. The little doll people, nightmares for days on that. I don't like carnivals. I don't like clowns. Well, no, <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't seen Freaks. I've, I've uh, been trying to find it. I, I think I got it on DVD. It. I'll send it to you if I can. Okay. <laughs> I found it incredibly sad, but I don't think there was a real winner in this at all. I don't see where the Joker really won in some ways. I think that even though he did get Batman to laugh, there's a loss on all sides here. Was this a basis for the film, Joker? Uh, I don't know. Nah. Although on that note, I think that the, one of the things that we spoke about, the fluidity of his origin and, his, and of his past, and that was something that was in the Heath Ledger character as he was telling all the different origin stories and it was kind of checkered. And, that was amazing. Uh, the Heath Ledger Joker is probably a closer fit. That's one reason why I haven't seen the new newer version. When someone has a performance such as that, it's hard to move beyond. But I loved the writing. I, I'm going to be seeking out more of this because, I, like I said, I've never never read Alan Moore. It, it was brilliant. Um, I, I liked all sides of it. For me, I like him when he's just completely doesn't give a shit. He'll shoot somebody just because. No remorse, no nothing. I find that more gratifying than to have to humanize him in some way. The anonymity of the Joker is what is enticing. I think as well, there's a great comparison between what we spoke about a couple of weeks ago in Wonder Woman uh, 84, when they did the, I can't remember his name, and that is only to my benefit. When they Lord. Yeah, I think so too. In this case, they weren't really trying to to get you to like the Joker. I really don't think that that's, I think they just wanted to give an explanation, but I don't think, whereas with Maxwell Lord, they're trying to get the viewer to humanize him. Yeah, um, yeah. I can't see the Jokers ever being human, to be There's honest. Some people that don't, that may have tragic beginnings or don't have tragic beginnings or, or circumstance that are just plain evil. One of the comics themes was this really interesting mirroring the way that it started with the puddles and finished with the puddles, the way that there was reflective images between the throwbacks and also the current day, there was mirroring between the villainy and superhero dumb. It's this tip for tap matching. And I think it was, it had a dramatic irony be between the relationship between Batman and Joker that there is, um, as Vision said in the Avengers, our very power um, invites challenge, the escalation between them. And that sort of brought it round to the, the speech that Batman gives Joker when he says, look, we need to talk because this is only going to end up with one of us dead. That was a nice, again, bookend because it was mirrored at the start and at the end of the story. This almost perfect symmetry. You mentioned mirroring. The mirroring that you see Alan Moore do between the Joker and Batman. We talked about his genius's intellect. The Joker knows who Batman is. The Joker's known for a long time now. And I think he knows in, in that book. One of the things he does to try and show Batman the, you know, the classic villain thing that we're not so different. You and I. Um, he cooks up this backstory because he knows that something has happened to Batman. Something's happened to Bruce. And he uses that story to draw not only Batman in, and he's showing you that, that what Batman's doing is the same thing that he's doing, just on opposite ends of the spectrum. They are just mirror images of each other. But when Batman broke, he didn't break the same way that Joker did. What that did is piss Joker off. He's the one that's been trying to break everyone. When Batman talks to Gordon, and then when Batman goes for the final showdown, he tells him, you know, Jim's not broken. I mean, Barbara's broken. For fucking sure. Like, goddamn riding a horse thinking you're Superman broken. But, uh, oh, that's terrible. I'm sorry. I, I have nothing against Christopher Reeves. You're not, you're not taking a side, uh, though, are you? You're not, you're not on the horse's side. You're not on Reeves' side. 
We don't want any more of that nonsense. No, no, no. Me and, me and Alison are on the horse's side. Oh, well, finally. Okay, at least we'll take 50% of the listeners this time instead of alienating both. 50%. You're damn Big right. horse fan over here. Anyways, what it's showing is... Exactly it, the opposite of what Joker's trying to prove the entire book. You have a guy who, who's been broken down to the most animalistic type of, of, of human. I think it was Brian that said it, everything he does is without consequence. And he's going all out, not really thinking what's going to happen next, but thinking what's happening in the moment. Kind of like a predator hunting prey, basically. Anything that he does with that 100%, like, like Brian was saying, but he does it with this, this tenacity and this just ferociousness, can't be stopped. He's like, he's like a storm. As much as they are different, they're one and the same. Batman laughing at the end shows that. One of the, the most quoted parts of this I was aware of beforehand that was, as Brian's corrected me in the past, you take through osmosis from the Zeke guys. Unlike, of course, anything to do with the Fantastic Four, which should remain a mystery to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so it only takes one bad day. Maybe it's me having a misconception of what most people would think, but I think that that would be seen as a central theme that runs through and that's drawn into the comparison. Do you think that that's a valid narration that carries through the pages, or do you just think that's a soundbite from the Joker to justify himself? More than one bad day, because it becomes a core celebre or, or Batman so that it doesn't happen again. We saw how capricious his temperament was in yeah. the initial flashback as well, whereby he's on a depressive moment when he comes into the house and then he's and he almost just loses it. like manically aggressive yeah. and then he switches back again. Not only a nice part of foreshadowing in a flashback, but it was also, I think, something that counters the one bad day argument because yeah. it showed that it was possibly an inherent behavior before yeah. the one bad day yeah. happened to it, him. Brian, you're a fan of hip hop. You listen to Most Death at all? Of course. Okay. Uh, the secret to the, the straw that broke the camel's back is the thousand straws that were stacked before it. It's not that go. one bad day. Yeah. It's a series of them. The thing that, that drives Joker is because he knows what Batman's doing, he knows that Batman had that yeah. one bad day. Exactly. But it did, like, I was, yeah. like I was mentioning before, it didn't break him in the, in the way that, that he was broken. And, yeah. and although it may not be the way we were shown in the comic, something happened that drove mm. him to that. And now you see him coming in the house and he's showing mm. those moments of not rage, but just, mm. well, I mean, I, I guess rage. And you yeah. see that he's already got that in him. And people like that really can flip mm. on a dime. And so yeah. how are we to know that he wasn't the one that ended up killing yeah. his wife? Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I thought that might be where that was going, you know. It's a first time reader. Batman is a little bit more complicated than that. It's not only that his parents were killed. Mm. It was the injustice of what, um, succeeded it as well. And there wasn't mm. that process. There was no closure. Again, it's death by a thousand cuts. Too simplistic mm. to possibly say that Batman was just one bad yeah. day. I think it was yeah. the succeeding event. Going back to the, the mirroring thing that we we're talking about, that Joker was probably the thousand cuts beforehand and they sort of met. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sort of perfect there, there's something that exactly. I don't think that troubles me is I think you give the Joker too much credit in that he's acting consciously. Joker is really uh, something else like a force of nature. It reminds me of uh, an old interview of Greg Ruka when he was writing The Punisher. And in his run, The Punisher was almost mute. There was uh, almost no dialogue from Frank. It was because 
Ruka was saying, uh, the character uh, doesn't need to speak, he's a force of nature, his actions are speaking for himself. It's the same thing for the Joker. There's nothing conscious in him. It's just a force that is released, destroying everything in its path. And I can see him raping Barbara Gordon, not for the sex, absolutely not, just because it's mm -hmm. destroying someone. It's one of the reasons I hate the three Jokers concept. The Joker shouldn't have any origins or several origins, stories with unreliable uh, narrators. So we don't know what's true, what is being invented. I actually agree with you that I don't think it's planned. It's our moral boundaries of what we think immorality is. There's a, a landslide in the storm. It's not the landslides made it worse. That's interesting because I, I actually think of Joker as being asexual almost. Mm -hmm. It's like he's always a very slender person. There's never been a buff Joker. Also, the way he performs is quite androgynous as well. And it's the sense of theater as well. He is in a loving relationship, although not without its problems with Harley Quinn. Yeah, uh, and, and like there's been, and he's and he's passionately in love with her, even through his madness. Now it doesn't show what we think passionate love is, and when people do that, oh, Joker and Harley are, are goals. Like, no, bitch, they're not. Not the point. Uh, the the thing is, is when you mention the androgynous of him and the more uh, the feminine, the feminine slender. Hey, you know what? David Bowie was a yeah. slender androgynous fuck yeah. machine. Yeah, yeah. I don't but, think he's able to love anybody like wholeheartedly. Any person that kind of psychotic position has things that they tether to, and it's more selfish than it is selfless. Yes. And and it's more yeah. he he doesn't need them around because he needs love. He needs them around because he can use them yeah. for the things yeah. that he needs at that time when he. Needs it. Fully believe that Joker's acting on full animalistic instincts, so I do think sex comes into it at some point. But I don't think him attacking Barbara would be in that sense. Look at the themes in like where where Joker has has lost his sanity and, and gone towards that more animalistic side. When Batman lost his sanity, you really do have to be fucking insane to put on a goddamn costume and go around punching people dressed up like fucking penguins and jokers and. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, like you're going out, you know what I'm telling you, and, and you know what it could be, you hear it all the time when, when you talk, when we talk about, and, and let's just talk about, we, we mentioned the dark night, uh, let's talk about the dark night rises where the dude fucking went in and, and shot up the theater and we had those shootings and stuff. And a lot of the times people who do those come from more affluent families and, mm. and they have the, this term affluenza. And it's basically just, you get so, you get so bored that you just like lose touch with reality because you're, you're like, you're just so rich. You have nothing to like work for or look forward to. You're just like, oh, I'm just going to go out and spend money and you know, have a good time. You just lose your mind. There could really be a case made for Batman and, and not just the injustice that happened to his parents, but just him having that money to travel around the world, to learn how to fight, to go avenge his parents. He writes a manifesto and he goes around punching people at night and we're not going to call him a hero. We're going to mm -hmm. put him on the news. There can be a case made that that man is insane. And so the day that he lost his sanity, he didn't break the same way that Joker did. He didn't go mm -hmm. towards animalistic. He still kept his humanity. And that's mm -hmm. the one thing that Joker lacks. He wasn't bitten. He's not from another planet. This is a choice. Every day he gets up. Yeah. So that takes a militaristic, you know, one of the core things about military is to beat the civilian out of you. So that things that you would see as a civilian, you no longer 
shirk or you're no longer shocked by because you're going to have to commit atrocities in the line of your work. It's funny you um, chose those specific words because I was just about to say his superpower is post-traumatic stress. You have to look into the psychology of someone that wants to do this and takes it as a cause because he could easily call in someone else like, yo, he's over there, I've located him, here's the, I've got his address. Yo, soups, Martian Manhunter, get this. My balls went inside me then. I was like, oh my God, did I say that? I was like, did I say it? Did I say who said that? It wasn't a roll, man. I'm trying to start laughing. I was like, oh, thank God. Thank I can lie to you. If I'm in the shower and some rap music comes on, I don't censor the lyrics. <laughs> They come out my mouth as they were written. No, up the okay, let me tell you. I'm that. so pleased that this part of the podcast's over. <laughs> my arsehole's been retracting like a turtle coming out with for food. Oh yeah, it's good. I can edit it out, but I'm just like, please make everybody thanks. still like each other. <laughs> thanks, thanks for the visual. I'm not expecting anything like anything despicable, but I, I was just. Yeah, good, good, good stuff. I like good, good, good. Well done, everyone, for taking us down this path. <laughs> but, uh, okay, moving, moving on before, uh, before, before I say something that isn't in keeping. <laughs> like mm-hmm. just trying to join in, and then everyone just looks at me like that was not cool. <laughs> Oh, I thought we were just joking. I thought we were just joking. I thought we were just like... I thought it was acceptable no. now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll tell you what, I met this black fella the other day, right? <laughs> oh, my God. Let me tell you. Nice man. And that's the end of the story. He was fantastic. Very good looking bloke. Pleasant smile. His name is Brian. <laughs> so I read the same uh, version as Al did. And as I, as I said earlier, that... Um, John Higgins was brought in as a colorist, and it wasn't to uh, Brian Bolin's liking. So he he redid the whole colouring, and I was really really impressed. Um, it was I thought it it sort of sat in this uncanny valley of the skin tones and the fading and the light and shadow because of it being digitally remastered. That this eerie lifelike look to it, but you still had the really in line work around it. So you were aware that it was still a comic, but it looked that lifelike. It was unnervingly in the When in you the get to the past, ish, the past part where it's all sort of sepia toned, um, you get the idea that you're looking back on something. And I like that kind of noir kind of feel to it a little bit. The carnival scenes I absolutely adored. Got this sense of madness with all the clowns and the people and the the freaks, basically. In a sense, that's what we think the Joker is. He's basically this sideshow of psychosis. The cover itself was actually a photo used as the premise for the the actual artwork uh, for the cover. I've just done a Google search and I'm glad that it showed me exactly what I was expecting. I simply searched Joker comics and the first five images are based around the picture of the Joker with his hands on his head with all the ha ha ha's in the background. I seem to have known about that image my whole life and I had no idea it's from the killing joke. I think the specific way that the art added to the dramatic of the story, most comics, especially when they're written to a solicit, which I know this wasn't because I think it was one of the first 
first graphic novels to be produced where it was written and released in its entirety. With titles that are on a monthly solicit, there's a propensity to have everything from an eye-level POV, that everything's quite flat with the characters in the centre and you feel that you're at eye-level with them. What this does to fantastic effect is it changes the POV of the reader and whether it's further away to make it seem more agoraphobic or if it's close in to make it more claustrophobic. The way that the characters were drawn were drawn so uniquely awkwardly that the appendages, mm. especially the neck and the way that heads were twisted, it's almost like the body was out of sync and then the eye line was with you. When you look at the headshot, it was zoomed right in so the head wasn't almost completely or it was touching the panel edges. So it was zoomed in on the expression and also to give that totalitarian realisation like when Gordon sees Babs, when he sees the images of her and it goes right into his face. So that's the only thing that you're focused <laughs> on. An example of making it look sparse is when Joker's on the throne. You feel like you're looking from ground level up all these steps, yeah. the baby dolls all the way up. You can see the vastness that he's on this pedestal and he's the sole point of focus with all this madness almost cascading down to your eye level at the bottom of the page. At times it looked almost cartoonish and that was a great juxtaposition between the Joker and the everyday people that you had him almost looking like he was in the comic where the other people had tones of realism in. don't know whether I'm just seeing things because I enjoyed it that much, but I think there was a real real attention to detail with each panel. Uh, I, I, I was, yeah, I was really impressed with the way that this was drawn. I draw on that, Matt. One of the consequences of that point of view shifting that, that you've identified is that it draws the reader not just into the narrative, but it almost implicates the reader in the sense yeah. that rather than the standard sort of point of view in, a, in an ordinary solicited comic, that's you in some ways watching a story, right? Yeah. But yeah. this in the story. You're you're drawn in and sort of implicated in the narrative. And that is something that I thought connected beautifully with the cover. I'm not a cover guy. I don't collect covers, so I don't know or pay much attention to them. So I don't know to what extent covers are generally so deeply connected to the internal narrative of the story or the substantive themes of the story. I don't know if Bolin drew this or who drew this cover. It is so striking because what's happening here is you have Joker looking at the reader in effect, shooting a picture of the reader, which draws the reader into the narrative immediately, right? It's the story telling you that you are part of the story. You're the subject. Yeah, and it foreshadows, it, not only that, in addition to that, um, it foreshadows the Barbara Gordon scene, of course, because she opens the door and he's looking at gun. And in both images, both the Barbara Gordon image where she's literally shot, and in the cover where you're figuratively shot, by a camera, it foreshadows that, right? It's like we're being captured and shot. And in a sense, in that way, it's literally the comic's first killing joke, right? You're being figuratively shot by the camera. And yeah. so it is I think, just so thoughtful and how it connects to that point of view idea that the reader is very much implicated in the narrative. But again, it's a suffocating close-up. You can't see all of the Joker. You don't have to see his arms. You don't see the, the extent of his hat or his elbow. It's just him as close up as it possibly can do. It's in your personal space. Yeah. There's a lot of it that just makes it feels like it's you that the Joker's talking to. It's you that sees Gordon's reaction. And it's yeah. you that's sitting there not doing anything about it. It's really powerful and really interesting. My mind is blown. What is interesting is almost the way that he drew the Joker. It's as if you can see that this guy does not blink. It's like a light bulb. You cannot escape the Joker's gaze. Even when he's got his back to you, you still feel that sense of trepidation or I dare not move that you really drawn into one thing only. So 
Don't try to look for the splash page. Don't try to look for the speech bubble that's going into the neck. No, it's none of that. It's stay here to this strict panel narrative. If anybody's got the got it in front of them, I just want you to open it and flick through a few pages. And mm-hmm. I, I want to see if you can notice how much focus is on hands. On every page, there is hands front and centre. Is there an emphasis on the red? What's the deal with the lobster? What's the deal with the bow tie and obviously the, the hood? You know, like what, why are things that are unnecessarily in red? I think it kind of ties in with, with the hands thing. When you think about yeah. hands, they have, they can build, they can destroy. There's a left and a right. It's about balance. There's a sort of synchronicity there, but also be powerful in a positive and negative way. And I think the colour red's the same. We instantly connect it with both anger and with love. Mm. And then it's almost coming back to the symmetry and the balance and equal and opposite mirroring games. There's hands and all, yeah. I think half the fun with these things, it's not being necessarily right, but it's about trying to work it out and come up with ideas. Like it might just be that... he just drew a bunch of hands. We, we also, when we talk, it's a way of expression. Hands are an extension of what we're trying to say. When you hug someone, you use your hands. If you want to punch somebody, you're going to use your hands. A good side and a bad side yeah. to those particular appendages. Yeah. If you're having a sleepy day in bed, you use your hands. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting that if you look at the last page, the um, the fourth to last panel where Batman has Joker by the neck, yeah. Um, right after that, there's an image that it's our last image of Joker, and it's just of his hand. And the hand is palm up yeah. in a kind of way which might suggest how you might reach your hand out to shake someone's hand, yeah. but also in a kind of maybe potentially penance. Communion yeah. too. Yeah. Exactly. You know, I read this book originally back. I have the I have the pre-deluxe edition, so the original edition. I don't know what my printing is, but I got it, I think, like in, sometime in the late 90s. And one thing that's interesting, just as an aside, is when you first start reading, you know, you ask people for recommendations and yeah. people tend to recommend the best books, but ones that are not suitable for introductory readers. I have this perfect memory. Well, perfect memory, right? We talked about how memory is <laughs> a plot. Liar! What, Scoundrel! One thing, I, one thing I do remember is the coloring, how striking it is. It's filled with these just kind of grotesque greens and oranges that are are so incredibly striking and, and fit the theme. So I think it's interesting that Bowen wanted to recolor. But my general impression of that is just how well the coloring and art suit the thematic mood. I think picking up on that, it's a really interesting thing about Batman's costume. When you look at superheroes, Spider-Man, Captain America, Wonder Woman, Superman, the heroes are in primary colors and the villains are in secondary colors. So mm-hmm. like Green Goblin, thinking Jack O'Lantern, I'm thinking Joker. But Batman, is he's tonal. He has no colour. He's treading the line, isn't he, of vigilante. There's just one more thing that I want to ask. to be a perceived ambiguity towards what happens in the final page. If whether Batman kills Joker or if he doesn't kill the Joker. Now, I've I've read um, some, some precedents uh, to it, and I also think that it's never referential through the DC line afterwards. So I would say that he almost certainly did not kill the Joker. But we now know that there's three of them. So <laughs> I think it doesn't matter because like I said, for me, Joker wins. So if he's killed or not, it doesn't matter anymore. Because for me, at the end, Batman goes crazy too fun. Crazy. I don't think he killed him. 
what I find interesting when Batman says, this isn't going to end well, you're going to kill me, I'm going to kill you, resonated in the back of my mind, is Batman saying this to him because he's trying to save the Joker or trying to save himself? Mm, I don't mm, think he killed point. him, no. Either option, he's either going to be literally or figuratively yes, dead. but he's one that tries to save people from the tragedies that he went through. Mm. And in some way, I think he's trying to save the Joker to save himself. Yeah, but he's got a lovely dick as well, hasn't he? <laughs> I have, I, have I, 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 I have not noticed. Um, <laughs> Why? I haven't noticed. Come off here. <laughs> oh, God. I'm, I'm not a... an expert in that area, but, you know, hey, uh, teach his own. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a few pictures over the next 24 hours and we'll, I'll, we'll bring you up to speed. <laughs> you do realize that the phone companies record all of that stuff. Right. I'm going to final set piece Wonder Woman, my dick to the world. Oh, there are a lot of those <laughs> in the world, aren't there? Um, <laughs> One of them might even like me back. I, mean, I felt like that was going too smoothly. We had a little bit of a moment where I was nervous, but I felt that I hadn't dragged us through <laughs> the gutter quite yet. You know, you can't be the worst behaved one, Brian. You're our... Uh... It was a mistake. I don't even <laughs> use that word. <laughs> it was a music word. <laughs> Tim? What are your thoughts? I don't know whether Joker's killed or not, but let me suggest that he is. If you look at the last page, the last three panels, there's no characters in the last three panels. It's just mm. you know, a shot of the rain-soaked ground. And in the first two, you have a beam of light going vertically across the panel, which of course is meant to suggest the beam of light in the actual killing joke and so the killing joke if you remember so there's like two guys burglars whatever and they have to oh, yeah, cross yeah, they have yeah. to cross right a building the one guy gets over and the other guy is like afraid to do so the first guy says hey i have my flashlight with me i'll shine it across the gap between the buildings and you can walk along the beam and join me and the guy's like no you're just going to turn it off halfway across and so the last panel there's no beam at all suggesting that Batman kills the Joker, right? The beam is gone. The guy's yeah. dropped and dead. Yeah. And that would connect very deeply to the to the idea of like when Batman says, and he says it several times in the comic, we're going to end up killing one another, aren't we? Mm -hmm. So it may be that Batman, in fact, kills Joker. And then in doing so, he, Batman, figuratively dies. And so both are dead. So it fulfills Batman's prophecy. And the art suggests a connection to the actual killing joke. So that would be an argument for yes that he does kill joker what what i like about that now you pointed out as well is that beam goes perfectly down the mi middle as well so it yeah symmetry between the two again wow yeah. that, that is uh, yeah blowing my mind that, that's beautiful <laughs> that is, it's, that, it's that, the mirror holy brilliant shit How if i could just add one one more thing i just Please looking at the do. page that i noticed like i said earlier the last shot of joker is of his holding his hand out as if he's be he's inviting batman to help him across the figurative beam that uh, further supports an interpretation that he in fact dies because he's asking for help help me across the beam extend the beam help me across and the batman turns it off and if you look at the next panel batman's foot crosses the line so it's almost yeah. as if batman is the one that's crossing the beam yeah i just got to anyway, <laughs> no, no no hey look you know it's funny that you say that because if you look if you look at the panel before where batman's crossing the line you see joker is towing the line right there yep. as batman's thinking about helping him across he cuts the light out yep Fuck, all right, Tim. I see you. Wow. Oh, you're making me think outside the box. I don't even have anything to add. I'm just dumb as shit over here. If that's true, it kind of ups, kind of upsets the continuity. To what extent parts of this are continuity? Obviously, the Barbara Gordon stuff is. Um, she becomes it's Oracle. continuity, but, but taken out. I mean, DC is very tricky with continuity. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so uh, it may not be in mainline DC continuity. 
but it's definitely uh, a continuity of one of the multiverses. Almost like a what if Batman snap. I'm now of the mindset, there's more of a chance that Batman died because he was the one that was offered the hand by Joker and he crossed the line and then the line was gone. Remember the 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 like the needle on the hand that he kills the proprietor of? It could be now. Now I'm just like throwing things out there Dude. that that's the way. Batman dies. Joker's got the pin, or did he lose it at some point? I don't even know. Now I'm just spouting I off. I think it did. It was not to lose. So maybe Batman touches the pin, right? As Joker holds the hand out. Maybe Batman accepts the hand, mm. and in doing so, is poisoned, and that's that's Batman's physical death. That is metaphorically foreshadowed by the crossing of the beam, possibly. And as you slap that book back together i think that we'll slap a closing note on this episode it's been fantastic honestly um when we proposed choosing a creator to focus on and i hadn't had too much experience of alan moore i started watchmen <laughs> and i didn't make it all the way through and it's not that i thought it was bad it was just so heavy and with reading all the bonus material i was like do you know it's what it's a long time to get through homie don't issues. play this shit but i did just buy and it's the goose moment of the week <laughs> <laughs> i did just buy doomsday clock so i am going to reread williams uh watchman before reading that but yeah guys so impressive that was amazing thank you so much oh, thank you i hope hope you enjoyed it as much as i did i certainly did uh, definitely mm. uh you did as you did ask uh Ali, you're like i'm gonna ask everybody what they're thinking you know and there's three jokers i'm gonna say i'm thinking that you shouldn't bring up fucking jeff johns god damn it and then, you get anymore, and then you get to the end of it and i'm like you gotta you just gotta fucking drive it in further we got the whole fucking episode without you. And, and you mentioned three jokers and i was like okay that's fine you know what he'll mention jeff johns we should probably leave it there. So, Wally, would you like to bid farewell to everybody and maybe blow Goose a kiss? Uh, not sure about the kiss, but goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Al, would you say goodbye to the Goodbye, Ollie. <laughs> Bye-bye, everyone. It was great. Um, thank you for letting me be a part of all of this. And um, I learned a lot. Looking forward to more. No, not at all. Thank you very much for your presence. Tim, it was Tim, most Tim, 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 welcome. Tim, 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 Timmy. When Matt sends me packages, they're actually labeled Tim, Timmy, Tim. That's like the address. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, goodbye to uh, you guys for the week uh, and to all listeners. It's been a real fun. I, I, I think we've now entered the, um, the well-established canon where we take longer to discuss a piece of content than it takes to consume the piece of content <laughs> and so it's been great great fun and i learned a lot a lot of really interesting insights guys so thank you did you did your wife pick them up and go what the fuck is this <laughs> <laughs> what have you been up to tim tim have you been on the yeah. internet again you know no good comes of it no no yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's an internet <laughs> please sir can I have then why are you more? getting fucking stupid packages in the post again it's my space all over again <laughs> i thought you were over this tim you promised me <laughs> oh man i'm not even mad at you anymore <laughs> at least it's not a european is it tim <laughs> Ha, ha, ha.
Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> oh, man. And then, Tim, that's when you enter your Joker uh, origin story. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, before I, um, before I cause any real offence, I'll, um, I'll ask Goose and Brian to say goodbye. So starting with Goose, uh, what have you got to say to the people, my, my friend? Um, yeah, I, I had a blast, uh, today. We got, uh, like Tim said, uh, we got some great insights and speaking of great insights, fucking Tim was just like detective mode, almost, yeah. almost better than Batman with some of those insights. They were things that I hadn't noticed. And I've read this book, I mean, countless times. I mean, cause it's one of those you can just read on an afternoon real great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's super mm-hmm. awesome. I love the fact that you send him packages that say Tim, Tim, Timmy, Tim. Because I don't know if you noticed on the one that on the one that you got on the one that you got for Christmas, but it was Spanky the Magnificent. Uh, so, oh, fucking, that. But uh, but but no, uh, it was it, it was great. I had a lot of fun that chatting really up with everybody. Leads me to, to big farewell, and thank you all for tuning in, listening to the end. I hope it was as entertaining as it was informative. So that only leaves me to say, we have been, and this is. The end.